This is another episode in my Teaching From Home podcast series, a series dedicated to supporting teachers who are working from home amidst the COVID-19 outbreak of 2020. The Teaching From Home podcast series is kindly supported by Tez Resources. Tez Resources have created a home learning collection full of hand-picked free resources for teachers to use with children who are learning at home or to share with parents. Please search online for Tez Home Learning to find the collection and see how Tez can help you. You can also find this collection through the Tez Coronavirus Support Hub at tez.com forward slash coronavirus. Now, my aim in this Teaching From Home series is that you will hear from a wide variety of teachers sharing a wide variety of experiences. We've had plenty of technology-focused episodes looking at just how remote teaching actually works. But we've also had episodes focused on the practicalities of coping with setting students appropriate work whilst also having to look after your own children at home. We've also had issues of safeguarding, differentiation, teacher mindset and much more. We've heard from maths teachers, teachers of other subjects and primary school teachers. We've heard from teachers from the UK as well as overseas. Hopefully there's been something for everyone. I've no idea how long this series will go on for, but so long as people keep listening and hopefully finding it useful, I shall continue. Now this time around, I spoke to Jules Dolby. Jules is an English teacher and an expert in supporting students with special educational needs. Indeed, on Jules' Twitter header, she has the quote, I will continue to campaign for ethical and inclusive practice in all schools. Our children should be valued and valued equally. Now, I was super keen to invite Jules onto the show because I wanted to know if the challenges facing SEN students during school closures were different to those facing non-SEN students. And if that is the case, then how can we as teachers best support our students? And I'll tell you what, Jules did not disappoint. This is one of my favourite conversations I've ever had on the show and one that will have implications long after this period of school closures finally comes to an end. I really hope you enjoy this one. I've no doubt whatsoever that you will. And please stay safe. Okay, Jules. Well, it gives me great pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. And I wonder if we could start by just telling listeners a little bit about yourself. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking. So, um, yeah, I'm currently a head of English in a special school. Uh, previously, I've worked in all sorts of phases and jobs and types of schools. So I've been in primary, FE, mainstream, secondary. I've been an advisory teacher to the LA, to the LA and a head of speech and language base. So I've done quite a lot of teaching and I've, I've worked in education for more than 20 years. And I noticed that I couldn't help but look at your uh, your Twitter bio, and you've got ex Falkland Islands Radio Journal. You've got you've got to tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah, that's uh, my claim to fame. So we we I, we took my partner and I. We got married and took two years break. Um, so most people go on honeymoon, don't they, to Hawaii? Uh, we decided to have two years in the Falkland Islands. And my husband got a job as an English teacher, but there was only one post. So I ended up um, leaving education for those two years, um, and it was a with a heavy heart because I loved my job uh, back in Dorset. Um, but and when I got this, I was in, really depressed for a long time, and I was like, oh, there's no work, and you know, I'm not stuck on an island in the middle of nowhere um, and then um, there was an ad on the local radio advertising for a news broadcaster and I thought hundreds of people would apply and nobody applied <laughs> <laughs> and of course you know there's a two, there's a population of 2,000 and I, so anybody that had wanted to do it had either tried it before or was too <laughs> nervous to do it because obviously everybody knows everybody in the Falkland Islands. So I got the job straight away. And um, yeah, and I spent two years absolutely loving it. Um, I interviewed lots of people. I interviewed Ben Fogel and Baroness Scotland. So I did lots of politics and um, I interviewed lots of in, uh, sort of Antarctic survey scientists because we're the sort of, you know, the the porthole before they go off to Antarctica. So um, it was all... It was all brilliant really yeah it was really good fun but I did miss education I did an adult English A-level class and it was probably the most highly qualified A-level class you've ever had it was really quite um, daunting so I had the, the vet the attorney <laughs> general um, the the doctor the nurse you know so um, lots of people came and they were all sort of quite you know high highly qualified people so that was probably my ch- most challenging a-level class <laughs> jeez flipping out. i've seen fascinating stuff like jules and again i'm tempted to ask you a ton more questions on that but i'll get in trouble if i do that so i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna keep focused and we're gonna get back to yeah. <laughs> get back to this uh, this teaching from home series so um one one area that's been distinctly lacking so far is is any specific focus on on sen students it's come up in a couple of the the um the the interviews that i've done so far but i want to go deep into this because obviously this is a challenging time for for all students for all teachers for all parents but i wonder if the challenge of supporting students with um with various needs would would be different than um than supporting students without those needs i wonder if we could just start without jules are there any specific challenges yeah it is different and you know and a part of equality is is uh, leveling the playing field so if there are differences in people then that's for it's our job as teachers to balance that out um, so yeah so firstly to say that students with special needs do vary from their typically developing peers um, and one size doesn't fit all as you probably hear an awful lot um, but yes uh, students with SEM by their definition they need reasonable adjustments and barrier really the, the main thing is removing barriers to help them uh, learn in an equitable way. Gee, and again, I'm sure we're going to dive into the specific nature of these those barriers as we talk, Jules. But I wonder, and again, you're going to have to forgive me. I'm I'm constantly apologising on these podcasts because of my, because of my ignorance. Um, I wonder, are there students with specific um, needs that require more support during this time? Yeah, I, I think so. So, I mean, if we if we start with that idea that um, all children need to access the curriculum and record their knowledge, um, but 
even for those students that may appear high attaining in your class, they may not be able to access a curriculum due to anxiety or um, a lack of flexibility in thought, you know, so if they've got autism or something. So, so I think those types of children um, may find this more challenging than others. There will also be some children with special needs and possibly those ones in the isolation booths and in detentions and getting excluded that might actually be quite enjoying this time uh, because the pressure's off um so and they can hide so you know and, and and feel comfortable so so you know again every student is different um but i think anxiety could be one of the i was thinking about this because i was thinking about all the different students you know with dyslexia and autism and adhd and the two i picked out i think were those with adhd because i think they can very quickly become overwhelmed without a routine um, and although they might hate routines and hate lists, um, <laughs> they, they absolutely need them. So they need a very clear structure around them. So I think those students may struggle. And then students with autism, some might enjoy it, um, but some really might be struggling uh, with how they're coping with this. And I think you need to think about... Um, anxiety as well about sort of risk taking so um you know for, for example so people think of things like bungee jumping for risk taking yes. but actually um, maybe underestimating the fear of reading out in class or having a teacher even hover over your shoulder while you're writing um that can sort of uh, shut children down really because of anxiety so with that in mind when they're they become more risk averse when they're anxious and there's a change in circumstance or a change in subject. So you can imagine this is a huge change for those types of children and the anxiety will be raised and therefore they won't necessarily take as many risks as they would in, in school when they trust the adults, the teacher that they know very well and they have a good relationship with. So I think thinking it of it in that terms it may be that for some students we, we need to actually put them in their comfort zone and give them work that they're actually really comfortable with and they can do so not challenge them too much at this stage that's fascinating that I, again this is this is my ignorance Jules here but I, I never framed it in terms of anxiety being the kind of key key driver of the challenges for this and again it goes back to what we said at the start it's it's an anxious time for all students but particularly students who have that kind of inherent anxiety that that this this change must be yeah so so troubling and so so challenging yeah, for yeah. them yeah and for a child with autism for instance so they they often there's a real struggle um sometimes around and there always has been even with homework for some students um because school is school and home is home. Mm. So why would you mix the two yes. up? So it's like me asking you to go and cook your dinner in your bedroom on a stove <laughs> when there's a perfectly good kitchen downstairs. You know, if you think so, it, you know, that kind of idea that why would we be doing this? This is what we do in school. Um, so that needs to that will be a real shift for some um, students and that that will be hard. Wow. Right. Well, I, I'm hoping you've got answers to this, Jules, because this, this is sounding like an, an incredible challenge here so to start off with i wonder um and again you'd be as specific as you like uh, with this or feel free to to, to not answer the question but I, I wonder if there are some things that schools and teachers might do that you think are not necessarily a good idea to support students with um, with sen yeah so um i made a list and <laughs> nice. like, you know, i didn't want to make it sound too like you naughty person um, but, but sort of what not to do um one of them i think is um 
giving out the same work as all the other students, like a big workbook that you work through um, without any scaffolding or help. Um, so, you know, that will be two ch- if, if they're a child at school that's had lots of scaffolding and a TA to help, then why suddenly when they're at home are they going to be able to work through that mm. without any scaffolding? So I think, so I think that is a, a relatively obvious one. Um, understandable when, when you're rushed and you're trying to plan for all these children, I get that. Um, but again, just, just having a look at that type of work. Um, another thing which is a real no-no for me is giving them work for younger children because yes. they've got SEN. So um, so it has to be age appropriate. Um, you know, so if they're in year six, but they've got SEN, don't just give them the year two work pack, even if it's work that, that they're at that stage. If it's got year two emblazoned across it, it's not great. So um, but what you can do is just try and make your work fit as many children as possible. So I've just designed a, an English um, scheme of work that I've sent to my students in the special school. And it fits, for me, I've worked it out that it fits some of my students that I have in year six right up to year 11. And so I've tried to make it age appropriate for all. And I've also tried to make it accessible for all. And then, you know, um, making sure that people can all do it. And it'll sort of be results by outcome to a certain extent for some of it. Um, so I think thinking in that way as well. So don't overload yourself as a teacher, but do make it appropriate. Um, is there anything else on your list before I dive in with a question here, Jules, yeah. about this? <laughs> I don't want to interrupt you for long. Yeah, there were a couple of other things. Were, um, now, there will be adults at home, but bearing in mind, um, sometimes SEN is genetic, so it runs through families. So do bear in mind that there may be adults that have special needs at home too, particularly with literacy difficulties. Um, so don't assume that the adult can jump in and be the teacher. But also, you know, there... Um, Adult, you know, the adults at home are not necessarily uh, teachers in a relationship as well. So I can't. I've got four children at home, and I'm a teacher. None of them will listen to me. <laughs> you know? um, so it's a very different relationship. So don't assume. It might be nice to do family work and family learning, but don't assume that the adult can jump in. So you do need to try and find some stuff that the children can do independently, or with some support from school rather than some support from home. That's a really important point that, yeah, again, an obvious one that you've said it now, but something that hadn't, hadn't crossed my mind at all. Of course, we, we assume that, well, two things I assume. One is that parents have time to sit down and, and support yeah. the students during this. And throughout these interviews, that's one thing that's become very clear is that parents, whether they're teachers or whatever they are, might be trying to do full-time jobs at the same time. But also the thing I've, that hadn't dawned on me until you've said that is, is I have this underlying assumption that stu- parents are able to support their students with, with the work and again that that may not be true as well it's a really important point yeah and actually I'm um, so I, I have uh, maths difficulties um, I've got a shocking put working memory so um, actually maths um, for me is, is a real anxiety <laughs> so my stress levels go up so I can't really support my children now they're 11 plus um, with maths you know um, not particularly well and, and very stressfully so you know so it's not even just um, you know adults that you would assume yes. um, have special needs you know and I know nothing about music either so a musical score I can't help my children with so it's not you know all of us there'll be certain things we can do really easily so the English work obviously uh, for me is is easy but other things are, are much harder for me that's really, really yeah absolutely absolutely key point um, anything else on the list of the no-nos Jules 
the last thing just to say um try not to threaten children because we're all really anxious at this stage it is very different so if they're not doing anything try to probe why and is there anything to help and actually supporting the adults at home so if they ring you which i've done actually with my daughter's school uh, i can't get her to do anything you're going to have to speak to her <laughs> don't sort of judge the parents and think well they have no control you know just think actually this is a different different relationship but don't then go in and go right um you know if you don't do this you're going to be in detention for a whole term when you get back you know think, think about you know what is it that you that why are, why can't you do this or what you know are there any problems is there anything i can help with so a bit of investment a one-to-one investment from the teachers will really benefit the student and and i can guarantee the family will be very relieved <laughs> that's absolutely fantastic um, I'm, I'm about to ask you about um, the, the flip side of this the good practice from from schools and teachers that you've heard about but before i do um just a specific thing there um what again this my ignorance again one thing that i'd not really thought about and you mentioned it there is is the role of teaching assistants um during this because obviously for for certain students with with sen teaching assistants will be sat next to them and in class or learning support assistants and will be giving them that one-to-one help uh, whilst the rest of the class is going on or taking them out in small groups and so on um i don't know if you want to answer this as part of the good practice but but what's what's the role of of, of teaching assistants or learning support assistants um, for students with SEN during school closures, Jules? I think they could be really important at this stage because not only are they they have they will have if they particularly work with particular children, they'll have really good relationships with them. I mean, obviously, it's always the teacher's responsibility, and we know that from um, all our SEN training that that we have to drive the um, learning. Um, but TAs play a hugely important role. They have great relationships, and they know those children really well. So I think um, I know some schools, for instance, and it does move in, I know, to our next question. Um, some schools have made them sort of co-producers on the VLE, you know, the virtual learning environment. Environment. Um, some of them are doing one-to-one calls um, with students. Um, others are being advisory sometimes to the teachers. You know, can so and so do this work? And the TA might then say no, um, or you know, or yes, they can, but they'll need this. You know, so so I think to absolutely involve the teacher assistants as much as um, the teachers, um, particularly for students with with SEN. Um, that I suppose the no-no is that don't just leave it up to the t- teacher assistants. Um, that's not fair on them um, but it's also not fair on the students because you are as a teacher the the expert in the field Um, but TAs are very expert often one in the subject but also in knowing their pupils fantastic superb and go on then Jules let's talk good practice then What, what, what have you heard about that schools and teachers are doing really well during this time Okay, um, so much. Um, I've never been prouder of being a teacher than now. You know, I walk down the street going, I'm a teacher, I'm a teacher, <laughs> because I just think um, teachers have been amazing and innovative and creative. You know, in a few days, we were drowning in ama- amazing resources. It was incredible. So there's so much. But um, I just wanted to mention a, a few things. So um, the Eden Academy Parent Forum, that's a, a special, a trust of special schools. They've got a great, I'll give you the links after um if anybody wants to look but they've got some amazing work on there um that's great athiti singh from an alternative provision she was talking about how they've done risk assessments that include the parent voice which i think is really important and they've kind of asked those questions about what will learning look like the check the situation the equipment they've got a call tracker to ensure that regular phone calls and check-ins are happening there's even online mentoring and counseling for parents which i just think is an incredible offer (laughs) 
um, and then I must mention Gary Spruckland, who's up the road from me in Dorchester, the Prince of Wales School. Um, Gary is hugely into dressing up uh, in his school, but also it's one of the most inclusive mainstream first schools um, that you will ever see. And he's got this most incredible caretaker. And right at the beginning, when schools closed down, the caretaker was delivering, and they called it, I think, Poweroo, you know, a bit like Deliveroo, but <laughs> as in Pow. And, um, and he had a big sticker on his car, and he was going around Dorchester delivering work packs, delivering furniture, because some homes didn't have the furniture, you know, like a desk. Um, so they've lent out desks. Their Chromebook trolleys are completely empty. Every Chromebook that they have in the school, every iPad is out with families. And he's doing loads of virtual lessons, including whole school assemblies. So there's an amazing work going on there. Um, but it is across the country. I'm, you know, I'm staggered. I'm not surprised because that's what teachers do. But I am staggered at, at how well we've all coped with this. Can, can I ask? I'm, I'm fascinated about the kind of resource side of uh, this because, as you say, there's there's loads of things that have sprung up. Even in the last few days, we've we've seen BBC have launched their offering with Bite Size, and you've got Oak Academy have launched theirs, and numerous other things. And um, is is there a role for that, Jules, or do does it need to be bespoke to, as you, as you said before, kind of bespoke to the needs of the student? Can, can teachers take these resources and then adapt them? Or is it, no, actually, you need to be using the resources that, that either you've created or that you've experienced of because you know these are most, most suited to your students with, with their individual needs? It's a really tricky question, isn't it? And I think teachers know their students, so I'd need to let them decide. But I do think there are things out there that I've been really impressed with. So, um, uh, so lift lessons do some great science lessons on vocabulary, and they're all in very small um, sections. They're free, and um, I'm trying to get my kids to do those, they, and they're very achievable. Um, my 11-year-old twins, they, they really like the maths app. So it's, it's really interesting that the most consistent work they've done is their maths because it's very timed and structured and they just do it bish bash bosh and it's done um so they use my maths and tt Rockstars, so they've loved that um uh, you know so, so there's a lot out there i think the bbc bite size is great to sit as a family and watch so i've mm. sat with mine and and we've actually just watched together so that was quite nice um so it does depend on the families and on the teachers but i do think those small video clips that you can find can help um, and allow children as well. You know, when we went back to that independence to be able to do it without an adult. Yes. Um, so I do um, a, a little little thing at 11 o'clock most days called Spelling with Jewels. And my a lot of – it's an online – I do it a live streaming event. Um, but a lot of people have come in with that. And some, some come in with their – as families. And others, my students from my school, will, will turn up, you know, from year six up to year 11. <laughs> and, you know, some of them are there half an hour early, ready, going, ready, miss, you know, um, <laughs> and stuff. So that sort of work and, – and that's not personalised to the, the child. And I've tried to make it as inclusive as possible. So it goes back to those inclusive strategies, really. Some things need to be individualised, but others, if you can make your lessons as inclusive as possible, then they really are accessible uh, for a lot of people. 
Um, can I ask as well, what, what, one kind of recurring uh, theme that's come up um, during this teaching from home is is whether some teachers are doing um, kind of live lessons where it's a certain time of the day that the students log on and the teacher's there delivering a lesson, whether it's via Zoom or Microsoft Teams or, or whatever it is. Um, and other teachers are saying, no, well, we're not going down that road at all. We're just going to kind of set work and the students do it at any stage that they want. Um, is there any kind of general principle or advice, Jules, for thinking of students um, with, with special um, educational needs that that you think leans towards one of those um, kind of approaches more than the other? Yeah, that's really hard. Again, different types of children. So there, there will be some children maybe that really like a routine. So to, um, I think for me the problem is if logging on between nine and three, you know, in their usual lesson mm. times, I'm not convinced that's the right way to do it because um, particularly for children with SEN, they're already um, – they find that quite stressful in school often <laughs> because there's so much to process. Yes. So actually, by but just by saying something a bit like you know go and go to spelling with Jules at eleven or go to um, PE with Joe at nine thirty, and you know that's there for you. But it can raise the anxiety in a lot of children that they're going to miss out if they don't go. Um, if you know, so so I think there will be lots of children that are missing a lot of work if that that's the case particularly some children with um with SEN you know because not all can can access that anyway you know if you're in a family even us you know as a family of six we've uh, we're struggling to get everybody on laptops at different yes. times um and you know we've got a relatively good amount of technology in the house but we're still going who's got the laptop because you know everyone <laughs> prefers certain laptops or you know my microsoft accounts i've got six microsoft accounts <laughs> on my laptop you know for different teams um, and different children and mine and you know so so I think that's worth thinking about too uh, I do I like the idea of the connection and I think that's more important you know um, so when my students come to my spelling I'm not really sure if they're necessarily bothered about the spelling I'm sure they're not but they're connecting with each other mm. almost you know they're going hi how are you and oh I'm fine and and you know so just having that little bit of connection I think is a bit more important and I know you know my older daughter she likes to ask questions to her tutor group so they've got a little Microsoft team in their tutor group and I think those types of connections are really useful as opposed to maybe live lessons that could be quite stressful because you, you you know if you can't get on for whatever reason then you've missed that lesson and then suddenly you're like oh you you know you're behind so I suppose that's I'm not 100% sure though it's all very new isn't it it is and it's it's it's, it's fascinating this Jules it's, it's a real dilemma for me this I'm, I'm I, and everyone I, every time I speak to somebody I, I swing kind of different ways with this where I'm at at the moment is that Go, going going back to what you said earlier on, I think structure is is key for for a lot of students, whether they're um, SEN students or not. This this idea of a routine and something to follow to to kind of frame their day and shape their day, and I think it's important as well. I think a lot of parents seem to appreciate that as well. But then the flip side of that is you have the access issues. Can students get on? Um, can they do they have access to the technology? Can they get on at that given time? I never considered before the anxiety um, issues surrounding that until until speaking to you now um but then the flips the other flip side of that is the, the that social connection seems so 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 important and um, i spoke to ben rooney on this series and he said that his favorite part of the day is where it's not nothing to do with teaching at all he just tries to replicate 
tutor time in the morning, his form time with his kids. Just He just goes on Microsoft Teams, but not on the video, just on a chat thing. And he just says hello to each of them and says, tell me something that you've been doing um, yesterday or last night. And it's because it's so important, isn't it, for all students, yeah. particularly I'm imagining students with, with anxiety issues to feel that they're not isolated, that they are still yeah. part of something. And it's, it's how you balance that with, with the fact that we are isolated. It's tough, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And I and I do think and this is where it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, we always have these um, discussions about, oh, school is just for making children mm. cleverer or whatever. And actually, you know, I think it's a real time for us all to step back as teachers and think this is about connection. It's about relationships. It's about communication. And, you know, if those things aren't in place, then it's much harder then to learn. <laughs> Yes. And and does it matter so much if we're, you know, um, you know, so so I just think it's that broader, you know, I'm a progressive teacher anyway. But, you know, that teacher child centered, broader part of school life that, you know, we are a community. And and I think we're all missing that a lot. You know, I'm missing those sort of connections with my students that I that I have. Um, and and yes, yeah, so those little sort of online bits where you can chat are really lovely, aren't they? They really are. And again, teachers will know they're all in different situations, different constraints, how to make that work. But if there are ways to have those connections, that yeah, I, I, the more I think about this, the more I think that's possibly more important than, than anything else that the yeah. teachers are doing at this time. Um, you may have answered this already, Jules, but I wonder, do you have any kind of favourite resources, ideas or activities um, that either you like to use with, with your students or that you've, you've become aware of via Twitter or, or other colleagues that you'd like to, to share with listeners? Yeah, I suppose I have talked about those lift um, lessons that I think are great um, the, the maths ones seem to be really good there's a nice English one that uh, my twin school use called Read Theory um, again they, it's, it's the stuff that they like just having things like questions and answers multiple choices so I, I do think those sorts of resources for me one of the takeaways for me on that is that for homework um, those sort of open ended tasks are not as popular to do independently as closed tasks you know yes. so having these closed tasks where they can tick and flick almost or, mm. or you know answer questions um so so they sound quite boring don't they because you know again i love creativity um on the flip side um i think things like cooking and art are being are very popular with children at the moment um you know my daughter and i don't have to force them to do this <laughs> uh, you know she the other day she just um, got a few rocks out of the garden that we'd taken, you know, um, that we'd had from the beach years ago, and she's painted beautiful pictures on them. You know, so so I think that there's a, there's this sort of rigid bit that they quite like doing, and then there's this very open-ended stuff that should be more about choice. So I suppose that for me is um, is something. The last one I did want to mention was Molly Bertrand. If you've got children with complex special needs, this is more um, children that, that use Makaton um, and for, for often younger children as well. She's doing these lovely little videos. And again, I'll give you the link. Um, they're just very short videos. Um, which I think for children with uh, complex special needs can watch independently um, and might give the adult a rest. <laughs> so, so I think that's really good. And I did want to mention assistive technology. It's one of my passions. And I do think this lockdown is a perfect opportunity for uh, students, particularly with dyslexia, that have got um, difficulties um literacy difficulties um, to, to try out the assistive technology. So really 
um, free stuff, you know, the accessibility function on your phones. Um, if you turn on the speak function, you can select it and it'll talk to you. Um, speaking to the microphone, it'll type for you. Um, using predictive text, Grammarly is free so they can check their grammar. You know, getting them to practice using assistive technology um, will is a really good thing to be doing at the moment and they've got time to do it. If they've got Microsoft, the immersive reader is incredible and it comes right up on the on the online um, word documents it's always there on the top immersive reader and it'll read it to them it'll chunk out um, syllables it'll color out the different grammar so you know it'll make nouns green and verbs red um, so there's loads they can do there and the last one is office lens which is such a brilliant piece of assistive technology that's free if they if they can have it on their phones and they can take a photograph of any text in a book and then convert it and then it will read it to them. Wow. So, so that's – and it's all free. So I would um, – even just typing using a spell checker is pretty liberating for some of our children. So do get your children with literacy difficulties to try out assistive technology. That Gee, can be some of their homeworks. That's amazing. And if you could send us links to those uh, that you've mentioned there, Jules, that would be amazing. We'll put I those will. On, on the show yes. notes. Yes, I'll absolutely do that. And just before we move on to reflections, and again, feel free not, not, not to answer this, but something occurred to me then when you were speaking, um, and it's something I've been thinking about for the, for the last couple of weeks, and it is what you said about this kind of creativity and the open-ended tasks and so on. Now, I, I can only speak as, as, as a maths teacher, um, and I'd be interested in, in your take on it um, for, from an English perspective. But that's one of my fears, that um, those kind of tasks will either not be used um, because um, they require quite, well, I find they require quite a lot of teacher support in the room to kind of set the task. Kids are going off on in different directions. And as a teacher, that's when I'm at my most knackered, just kind of wandering around the room, seeing where kids are going. They're going off on one direction, another child's going off in another direction. So one fear is that teachers just simply won't set them because the kids find them a lot harder to do on their own independently. But my other fear is if teachers do set these more open-ended tasks, that you get this inequality thing where some kids are going to absolutely thrive on them and, and get so much out of it. And other students are going to be left really, really struggling and incredibly frustrated by it and, and, and not get a lot out of the experience. Do you think there's anything in that, Jules? Is that something you've been thinking about either from an English perspective or as, or as a parent? Yeah, I think both. And actually, I think about this in my teaching as well all the time. It's a, I'm slightly obsessed with this because um, a lot, particularly for special needs, structure and breaking down tasks into the smallest component um, and then using the building blocks, you know, uh, to become to a more complex task is hugely important. So for me, again, it's that teacher knowledge to think what activity am I asking the child to do so if it's creative really that should be a choice and it should be around their their own interests even within your subject and strengths and then there's there's definitely another type of teaching that we do a lot of in schools that has to be quite direct mm -hmm. and um, breaking down um, complex tasks into component parts and ensuring that, that there's a structure, particularly in maths, I know, but in English too, in learning to read um, and reading comprehension, you know, um, chunking out those tasks. So 
that would be my plea for any formal learning um, that you want children to do, particularly if they've got special needs, to make sure that you completely chunk that down. And actually, I'll give you an interesting example if we've got time, because yeah. I've just watched... Um, I think it was Tuesday, the BBC Bite Size, and they, and you know, my ears uh, pricked up when they went into English, and they're doing, <laughs> they're doing the novel Wonder, um, and what was really interesting, they um, did did some. They had a very quick summary of, of Wonder. So, you know, there was a, a boy with um, facial differences. Um, so that was really quick. And then they got um, a, a lovely footballer to, to read a passage. That was great. But again, it was very quick um, and no visuals. Um, and then they started talking. Uh, the English teacher and the presenter started talking and they went straight into um, this book has a first person narrative um, and that draws the attention and, blah, 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 blah. and they started talking like that. Now, for me, that my children with SEN cannot get that. OK. And a lot of children, not just children with SEN, actually, because what they've done, they've missed out the component parts of, OK, what happened in that section? Uh, you need to spend much more time on, you know, OK, the main character is August. August has facial differences. How do you think that child would feel? You know, all those. Now, I, I can't. They, they don't have enough time to do that necessarily at BBC iPlayer. But it did make me think if you're asking a child to watch that, then you've lost a lot of children you know, 50, 60% of your class maybe, um, because actually reading comprehension um, and reading is all about activating prior knowledge, um, predicting what's going to happen next. How do you think that child is being treated um, by other children because he looks different? You know, um, questioning, summarising, visualising, inferring, clarifying, all those things have got to be put in place before you start talking about first-person narrative. And so for me, there are certain bits where you've got to go right back and chunk out those component parts to the smallest possible um, bit. So I suppose my answer to you is if it's formal learning, then it needs to be chunked and very, uh, very sequential. And then if it's a bit more informal choice learning, then that could be as creative as you want it to be. That's a, yeah, that's a superb distinction, that, Jules. And again, another thing that, that I've been thinking about lots is, and this, this comes down to whether you call it assessment for learning or just kind of getting a bit of a sense of the room, is that if I'll be given an explanation or an example or something like that, you just know as a teacher when you're in the class that it's just not hitting home sometimes. You can see from the yeah. kids' faces and stuff. But that's a whole different ball game, isn't it? If you're doing, whether it's a, a live lesson that you're streaming or whether you're recording a video for students or whether you're setting them a video or something off, off the TV or whatever that, that's already been pre-made, you lose that connection. You lose that sense of whether it's going too fast or it's going too slow or there's yeah. confusion in it. And that's a major challenge, isn't it? And that's the beauty of teaching, and that mm. and we can't replicate that. No. That's the magic, and that's what we're all missing because we love that bit, don't we, as teachers? Yes. And um, and also, you know, I do think that that's where I get into those sorts of debates on Twitter about scripted lessons. Yes. <laughs> when when do you come off script? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, know, we... you know, I've asked people. Well, you know, what, what happens if students don't get get it halfway through your script oh well they'll get it eventually and you're like well yeah you've just lost them for 10 minutes uh, you know they're looking out the window um uh, you know so so i think it is that sort of you know that's that's the lovely part that's what i love about teaching 
That's fascinating. Fascinating. All right, Jules. So, so just some reflections to uh, bring this conversation to a close. Um, it's an interesting one, this. Uh, I'm fascinated on your take. Do you think anything positive in terms of teaching practice will come out of this experience? Um, I, I was thinking about this um, and I've just had some, um, I'm a governor for a first school in St. Abbas in Dorset and um, we had our online full governing body meeting last, <laughs> last week and um, and I think the head teacher there summed it up for me really well because we were talking about how everything was and you know some of the governors were parents and she was saying you know and how, how is it, are your children okay and they were all incredibly positive and um, they said that they really felt like they, they were a community going through this together and the head said you know if there's one thing that changes for me is that teachers have had the time to be creative and really concentrate on the needs of their learners um, with far fewer external pressures such as accountability measures Mm -hmm. and marking ah that's interesting isn't it because the time to sit back and think strategically about learning for your pupils as a real luxury and it shouldn't be a luxury. It should be part of our timetable. <laughs> for me, non-contact time should be sitting in a dark room and thinking. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, you know, and we've lost our time to sit back and think. Um, so if anything changes for me, it's that we become more reflective. Yeah, I'd, I'd love that. My, my fear is that it, teachers will come back wanting to do that, but then it's it's the school's responsibility or senior leadership or whatever to, to try and provide that time, isn't it? Yeah. Because if, if teachers still then get bogged down with everything that they're used to, that, that, that time for reflection just disappears. It's um, Yeah. yeah I remember tr- once in, in London seeing there was this office and they had this um, this – uh, chair, it was like a, you know, like um, I don't know, the hairdresser's like a vibrating chair, like does massage. Oh yes. But it, and then it had this hood that went down, and then music, <laughs> or I don't know, whale music or something. <laughs> and you know, and, and workers, office workers, could go and have their break in there. And I was nice. thinking, we should have some of those in the staff rooms, and then and we could call them our reflection chairs. <laughs> that is very nice. Oh yes. And we'd all go in there and reflect on, you know, our pupils and um, how are we going to get them to learn jeez you're on to something there i love that Um, final couple of questions jules and do you have any general advice i mean you've mentioned loads of stuff already but i wonder just to kind of summarize and do you have any general advice for teachers of sen students during school closures Yes, and funny enough, I, when I started to think about this, this this is the same advice as I would give in any staff training I did on SEN for any teachers in the inclusive classroom. So, so actually, these tips you can use in your classroom as well. So, um, my top one is always visual, visual, visual. Okay, so draw it, dual code it, let them draw. It helps communication and memory, um, and yeah, so that's really important. Sort of visual prompts to go with words do help children with special needs, particularly if they have language and comprehension difficulties. So um, that's number one. Number two is lists and bullet points or things like now do this, then do that. First do this, next do that. So that kind of idea where you're leading them down the path. Um, Repetition, as much as possible. Repetition is good. Uh, repetition, repetition, repetition. Um, you know, it helps with learning and, um, you know, and, and to go in. Um, and then language. Many of our children have, um, it's similar to dyslexia, but for language. So um, talking and understanding are difficult and they're very hidden in our classroom. Um, the, the 
the technical term for some of these students is developmental language disorder, DLD we call it, um, but they're very common in classrooms and yet very hidden and not known about. Um, so, and for them it's uh, clarify, don't simplify, but clarify. So reduce your carrier language, but keep your subject specific language. So basically that sort of language that um, explains your subject, if you keep that as clear as possible, um, and so they can then concentrate on their subject specific. Um, another one is narrative. So we think of narrative as, as storytelling, but it's in every subject. So it's who, where, what, when, why, how. And if you stick to that for narrative, that will help, you know, if you're answering those questions where relevant um, and making sure your pupils know those questions, the answers to those questions, then you're really fitting a narrative structure that they may not have um, automatically. Chunking, we all know about chunking, hopefully now that's really important. And then um, a distraction-free presentations, okay, not too busy, um, that's a real problem uh, for a lot of our children. And then my final one is be careful on assessments. Okay, I have a real issue with this. So what are you assessing? So if you're saying they can't do something, are you sure they can't do it or is it just that they can't write it? If you say they've got poor comprehension, are you sure it's poor comprehension or can they just not read fluently? Um, if you say they don't know something, are you sure or do they have retrieval difficulties? So, for instance, in Romeo and Juliet, for instance, would you say who is Romeo's family? And they go, I don't know. And they go, oh, they don't know Romeo's family. But if I say to you, is it the Capulets or the Montagues? And then they give me the right answer. They do know it. Mm. So that's the difficulty with retrieval. So be very careful on your assessments. Wow, that's a, a, an absolutely fascinating list that, Jules. And what, what I like about that is, as you said, that's equally applicable in normal classroom teaching as it is to school closures. But what's also interesting, thinking of the, the situation we're in now, is that those are really good guidance, wh whatever way you're choosing to, to work with your students, whether you're doing videos, live lessons, setting work packs or whatever, though that guidance kind of transfers across. Well, that's the way I'm taking it anyway. W yeah, would that be fair? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, the inclusive classroom. They're kind of tips that I always give at the end of any training and, and or work my way through. And, and they all link to different different SEM behaviours as well. So, you know, they'll fit with executive function if they've got difficulties in that way. So for sequencing, like to use contact, you know, concept mapping and if they've got short term memory difficulties, chunking visuals, triggers are good. If you've got attention and focus difficulties, then achievable lists and tasks that are timed are good. Um, you know, if you've got retrieval difficulties, again, triggers are good or multiple choice questions. You know, so if you're feeling overwhelmed or Im impulsive, if, you know, they're, they're all linked to our, the generic SEN behaviours that you will see in a lot of our children. That's fantastic. And um, finally, just on this, um, any advice for parents of SEN students during this time? Yeah, no, it, this is interesting. I find this hard being a parent as well, feeling, <laughs> feeling like I'm failing really much. <laughs> and um, I did, I wrote an article which I will put in um, for you a link for the Special Needs Jungle, which is um, an SEN uh, magazine, online magazine. And um, so I did write an article, but I th think it's hard to advise parents because they are the expert in their child. But I think that the, the main message I wrote in the article was to keep a loose structure. 
So, um, and I was laughing about this the other day with somebody because th- there was this joke on Facebook about how we're all living in pajamas and tracksuit bottoms. So we're all putting on weight without realising it because we're not putting <laughs> our tight jeans on. And it's the same. So if you've got no belt on for your children, then then it's just too open-ended again you know so actually have a belt on but maybe just let a few um holes down so it's a bit looser <laughs> so <a> loose structure <laughs> that's so, so lovely and, and do remember invisible learning so like i said about my daughter grabbing a rock from the garden and painting an amazing pattern that was lovely um you know another daughter was really hungry the other day and i was busy so she made herself a pasta choice and she read the instructions she looked at the fluids she looked at the temperature and then she was really proud that she'd done that independently so you know so and i heard her tell her friend on facetime that she'd made this pasta independently so you know so let their interests flourish and seek the learning in it and i suppose finally be kind to yourself as well be kind to yourself as a parent don't judge yourself like i'm doing (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's uh yeah i can i can relate to relate to all of that that that's fascinating that jules and and if you don't mind just one more bonus one more kind of bonus question and th- this occurred to me when i was when i was prepping for for, for this uh this interview um i i don't know if you had a chance to listen to my interview with with um helen um that came out a, a couple of days ago i but, did uh, i loved it yeah me too she's always brilliant to talk to and at the end of it we we spoke uh, we spoke about um cognitive load theory and working memory and so on and having followed having followed um your your work and your your tweets for for a while now um one thing that and i don't want to put words in your mouth but one thing that i've certainly taken away from some of your comments has been that a lot of what cognitive load theory would advocate or what what the um kind of um, implications or applications would be from it is actually stuff that good teachers working with SEN students have been doing for years. Um, would that be would that be a fair thing that this actually isn't new? All this, the limits of working memory and the implications in terms of redundancy and avoiding split attention and or, um, mo- mo- diff- uh, modality effects and all this. That actually, it's that that that's just good teaching. Is is that yeah. oversimplifying your view? Or, no, or um, it's absolutely. And I think if you speak to uh, many people that have been in SEM for a long time, all the new work that's coming out on um, cognitive load theory and working memory, we've known for years. Mm. <laughs> and you know, the, when, when I first started seeing work on working memory, um, I, I know and I noticed Helen talked about this. Um, you know, this sort of oh, it goes from the front of your brain to the back of your brain, from the short term memory to the um, uh, long term memory. I mean, we've been doing badly and hitch you know that's in everything for for ages and you know we'd, we'd learned about phonological loops and the spatio uh, you know the the spatio visual sketch pad and uh you know the semantic and the episodic so um all this stuff we have known for a long time and it, it is just good teaching and you know that the biggest message in SEN teaching is that it is just good teaching and it harms nobody but it will help an awful lot of people and a lot of pupils in your classroom that you may not even realize have special needs <laughs> yeah so so I completely agree with you um I do I, I completely agree with Helen as well though about that simplification of it mm. because um what's not mentioned is children like me who have um poor working memories so i can't do my times tables i can't do alphabets um particularly well i'm not fluent in the alphabet um i my i struggle with my left and right um i can't read a map um i have no visual memory whatsoever um you know i can't retrieve information um sometimes you know i get get my words mixed up you know all those things um 
are my working memory issues. And so when we see all this generic working memory stuff that um, Paul Kersher talks about, they completely ignore children that have... Um, well, in my experience, they, uh, I, they, I don't hear them talking about children that have really poor working memories. Um, and therefore, and, and that's where the research has come from. You know, the research from Baddeley um, and working memory research comes from children with special needs and adults with memory difficulties. So, mm. so that's where it's all from, you know, that um, people that can't retrieve information like me really struggle in school. And, you know, it's why I end up in a secondary modern and not the grammar school. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's why I failed in my exams. It's why I really struggle with um, end of term exams, but are really good at coursework. You know, so I think, um, oh, you know, I can go off on one on this, <laughs> but it is, but it is good teaching. Yes, I completely agree. You know, if you overload, don't forget as well though, cognitive load changes for different children. Yes. So if you're not a fluent reader, then obviously you will reach cognitive overload much quicker than a fluent reader. So you, you then can't concentrate on comprehension because you're busy decoding the words. So I think, again, looking through the SEN lens um, with regards to working memory and cognitive load theory and all those is very important. And that's why it is good SEN teaching. That's fascinating. That's and I could talk to you about that all day as well, Jules. Maybe we'll put a date in in the future yeah, to, to sure. dig deep, dig deep on that. But I'll tell you what, rant. <laughs> <laughs> we love those on this show. Um, that has been absolutely fascinating, Jules. I, I've, I've loved every minute of that, and I, I've learnt loads. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Okay, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure.